0: This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. In a settlement on Tuesday, July 14th, DHS and ICE rescinded their policy barring international students from taking online courses and allowing their stay in the US. Managing Director of Erickson Immigration Group, Hiba Amber joins to share the significance of this victory and what may be in store for university students next. I'm Ian Gaines, come join us Beyond Borders. Harvard and MIT both filing that lawsuit against the Trump administration this morning over the decision to revoke visas for international students who are taking online classes. Now, Harvard President Larry Bacow saying the plan is, quote, its cruelty is surpassed only by its recklessness and said it was an effort by the Trump administration to force colleges to open without concern for student or faculty health. Now, the lawsuit seeks a temporary. We order. just got finished listening into a hearing and it was quite quick. It was quicker than we both expected. What happened there?
1: So there was a lawsuit pending in one of the district courts in Massachusetts. The um, plaintiffs in the lawsuit were Harvard University and MIT University initially. Afterwards, there were additional academic institutions that joined the lawsuit. This lawsuit was essentially pending um, as a result of Harvard and MIT's request for a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction against a new rule released by the government that impacted foreign students. So it's like you said, we dialed in, we were very anxious to hear how the hearing would proceed. I think that we were on hold, awaiting the hearing start time for over 20 minutes, and the hearing was over in two minutes.
0: Right, (laughs) it was like, uh, did we miss something? That's
1: right, so this is not a new rule. It
0: simply reverts back to the pre-pandemic rule, which stated that if you were just taking online classes, you couldn't get a visa, but many think that this is an effort to really force schools to open or perhaps get more seats at these colleges for US students. We just don't know the answer. For F1 students, if they did not have any classes that was in person, if all of their classes was online, then that would render their F1 status invalid and they would have to either attend a class personally or risk deportation.
1: Yeah, so let me provide a little bit of additional context. Um, and I think the best way to think about this is in terms of what life was like pre-COVID, if any of us can even remember at this point, and some of the modifications or exceptions that the government has made as a result of COVID. So generally speaking, um, you know, most foreign students attend full-time school, in person, physically, on campus, right? And then obviously, as a result of COVID, a lot of uh, institutions, um, universities, companies, offices were switching to a work-from-home model, and a lot of universities followed suit. What I said back in March of this year was that foreign students, as a result of the dangers associated with COVID, could actually study online and do, you know, virtual classrooms or distance learning if necessary, since that was kind of the, the environment, the climate, you know, just after the July 4th holiday. So now we're fast forwarding, basically, you know, this pandemic has pretty much been, you know, the narrative for the last three, four months. So now you fast forward in the days following the July 4th holiday, and we start to see headlines from major Uh, renowned, prestigious academic institutions, indicating that when it comes to the upcoming fall semester, they were actually going to shift their degree programs and curriculums 100% online. And all of a sudden, the next day on July 6, ICE came out with a directive indicating that foreign students were not included in the category of students who would benefit from online education, um, which universities were rolling out in the interest of personal safety. And in that directive, essentially what they said was that this July 6th, you know, rule or memo was going to supersede whatever exceptions they had made in their March guidance, that, you know, students either had to attend a full-time in-person Academic institution, or they had to attend a school that was some sort of a hybrid model, meaning that they were somewhat online and then some of the classes, I think maybe 50% of the classes, were still being held um, in person. Hmm. And if the student was already enrolled or going to enroll in a university that was 100% online, then they would have two options either they would have to transfer to another university that offered in-person classes, or they would have to leave the country, period. So you can probably imagine the disruption and the concern that that caused, um, not only in the um, foreign students' community, but also in industries that benefit from the skills that foreign student recruits bring to their companies.
0: And it's a lot of money actually so 1.1 million international students here in the u.s and they pay 45 billion dollars a year for school related expenses totally how do you think that changes the landscape of of what's to come it's our it's our cash cows right. it's a million international students 41 billion dollars in revenue nyu has 28 percent international students i mean, I would imagine that's 50 percent of our cash flow. So at best, economic devastation of our economy, a half a million jobs created by international students, 40 billion dollars in revenue, some incredibly
1: talented people. That's a lot of
0: industries and a lot of sectors being impacted by that, if this would have went through.
1: That is correct. To the to the best of my knowledge, that is, that is exactly right. You know, obviously we are um, immigration attorneys, but mm-hmm. there is quite a bit of overlap in terms of what we do on a day-to-day basis with concerns that are raised over issues involving F1, OPT, STEM, and the uh, employability of these, you know, foreign graduates. And so, mm-hmm. you know, based on what we've learned as a result of being in this industry, it is foreign student tuition that contributes to everything from, you know, a major initiatives within a lot of these universities right. to, from what I understand, scholarship money for U.S. students, right. you know, yeah, so
0: uh, mostly most of
1: them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's understandable to me why so many well-known and prestigious academic institutions chose to take quick action against this because there was actual harm to be experienced if this had been allowed to, to move forward.
0: Right. So um, why do you think they reached the, the settlement that they did? What do, you, what do you think about that?
1: You know, I think that honestly... It probably had a lot to do with the pressure applied in the form of not only litigation, but a lot of the parties that joined as Amici. I think that the plaintiffs made a very persuasive argument in this case. As I'm sure you would agree, uh, regardless of what side of the issues you're on, One thing is for sure, um, the current administration has a very specific stance when it comes to immigration-related issues and um, is not known for necessarily backing down or backing off. Getting distracted with other more pressing issues perhaps, but I would not describe their approach as ever taking a step backwards. So to fully rescind the directive released on July 6th was definitely not something that I saw coming.
0: Right. (laughs) It's definitely surprising. And when you think about it from the the student's perspective, they're in a tight space. So you have to think about the health considerations, right? So either international students potentially expose themselves to an unknown virus, right, that we haven't quite gotten the handle on or face deportation. And a a lot of these students move here for the first time to get an education and to be put in such complicated situation is really rough for them, is is really, really tough. So um, I'm glad that this has happened, but the second consideration is, all right, is this going to be temporary? Is this just going to last for a semester or two? And then if COVID-19 continues, Uh, will we revisit something like this again if we have to continue to do school online?
1: I think that today's hearing certainly marks the end of this particular lawsuit. So when it comes to this issue, um, and by this issue, I mean whether or not foreign students are prevented from, um, you know, studying or attending classes online simply because they're here on an F1, I think that this issue is officially over as of today's hearing.
0: (sighs) Okay, I can breathe a little bit easier right now.
1: So I think that if you try to examine this from both sides of the aisle, so to speak, then I think proponents of the July 6 guidance would say that fine, you know, the, the foreign students are not permitted from attending a um, exclusively online, program, but they're not barred from continuing to attend all of their classes at these schools from abroad. So essentially what that means is that they would not be allowed to remain in the U.S. if their university was 100% online, but they could simply go back to their home country in theory, and they could still be active students and they could just take their their, their classes 100% online from abroad is you know how I'm reading this but I think it's important to talk about like the actual practical implications of what that would involve. The money that you've already put towards either tuition, room and board, rent, travel expenses to come to the United States in the first place, and then going back to your home country and dealing with the time difference. Uh, In some instances, electricity issues, in some instances, Wi-Fi or internet connectivity issues. Beyond just the practicality of attending uh, exclusively online programs, I think that at some point, we have to find it in ourselves to be a little more empathetic. There are so many people who rely on one child of the family and save all of their money earned over a lifetime and put it towards that child's education in the hopes that that child will become educated, become successful, earn, you know, decent money only so that they can turn around and take care of their family back home, quote unquote, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, uh, for what it's worth, just speaking from personal experience, I am the daughter of immigrants. Mm -hmm. And my father was in that situation in which, you know, his family rather, you know, um, made it a point to try and save and, you know, put two pennies together. And he was the one who was chosen to travel to the United States to obtain an education. And then he did just that. He turned around and took care of, you know, six additional brothers and sisters Mm. back home once he, you know, obtained his degree and started earning. Um, Similarly with my mother, due to, um, you know, the environment that she came from, she actually did not have access to an education. Mm. And so even when things got extremely, extremely difficult for her. The one thing that she refused to do was leave the United States and move back home because she would not let her children, her daughters in particular, be deprived of this education. So I think it's really, really important to also maintain that perspective because we in the United States, some of us may arguably take it for granted because we are so fortunate In this country where you know the resources are are arguably abundant. But for folks outside of the United States, particularly these foreign students, this is a very, very high-stakes game. And it's not just simple to tell them, oh, you can't go to this type of school. Rather, you have to go to that type of school. And if you can't get this figured out in the next month and a half, you're out of here. Preventing foreign students from finishing their degree is not going to have probably as immediate of an impact in right. what they think is going to save American jobs. So I don't know. I guess this is just me. I, I think that I just found this to be a bit confusing because I was not able to really, you know, understand how, to put it simply, it did not seem like this was the best way of getting from point A to point B in a straight line, if that right, makes right. sense. But,
0: right, and and I think not so much the, the reason being to take American jobs. That's one argument. On the other side is part of the administration's attempt to, I guess, in a way, force the university's hand to reopen physical attendance on campus in the fall if students are not participating online. It's kind of forcing them their hand to say, Okay, well, you have to attend in person.
1: You know, um, I honestly could only speculate at (laughs) this point. It could be be anything. It could be anything, you know, but, uh, you know, I guess the way to look at it is, you know, this is an unprecedented time. You know, I think that many people probably would have never guessed that they would ever live to see a global pandemic that resulted in a near global paralysis. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea what's going on. I can only speculate Um, from an immigration perspective. However, uh, I do think that if anything, the motivations lie more so with what they think is at risk to U.S. workers when it comes to jobs, you know. So um, that's probably the best that I can do.
0: That's the best that any of us can do at this point right now. Thank you to lead researcher Khan Branch, assistant producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at i m m nerds, and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.